Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Crypto News Podcast. This is the first epi back on the Sure SM7B back in the Cribo in Toronto. Super pumped to be back, super pumped to be home. Also very pumped to have my guest on the show who's coming in hot from beautiful south of Spain in Malaga. What a treat. I was there last heck six, seven, eight years ago. After I graduated uni, went on a little three-month Europe trip, slumming it, super poor style, backpacking, hostels. Oh, the stories, the memes, what a time. Time for the intros. Today we have Valentin Pletnev, the CEO and co-founder of Quasar Finance. At just 23 years young, Valentin has already had exposure and experience in a variety of blockchain and emerging tech-focused fields and is currently the CEO and co-founder of Quasar Finance a vault-based asset management app chain for the Cosmos ecosystem and the broader inter-blockchain communication, also known as IBC protocol. This lad is the real deal. Pumped to have him on the show. Valentin, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much, Matt. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. And thanks for the warm intro. Though I want to specify that I'm the CEO of Quasar Labs, the company behind the Quasar chain. As chains, thankfully, don't have CEOs. Well said. Very, very true. Quick shout out Quasar Labs there. Let's jump into the travel stuff because you and I were shooting shit about this before mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. How much fun is the South of Spain? It is just like the food is world class. The people are so friendly, beautiful as well. You got good weather. I'm sure even in April, you got some good weather. It's just it's just a different vibe in the South of Spain. There's a reason why all the Brits just live down there for like six <laughs> months a year. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, you know, I it's not a controversial take, but I truly believe Spain is the best country in the world to live in. Um, and, and that really says something because I have been to 30 countries and I, I still believe that Spain is just the one. And look, I love the States. You know, I think the kind of the arguments of young people against the States is not always justified. I think the States is an incredibly unique country, especially when it comes to opportunity. But Spain for living, especially in a remote work life where you don't so need sad. to be, you know, in the hubs to be exposed to opportunity. God, the weather, the people, it's warm. You have culture, you have beaches. It's also not superficial. People still enjoy life for the normal and, you know, for the traditional reasons. I used to live in Barcelona actually last year for, for uh, almost the entire year. And, you know, Barcelona is different a bit because of Catalonia and they have this situation, but. Uh, the Mediterranean coastline of Spain is just unbelievable, truly. So it's one of the best of all time. You also said that you did a world-class rip from Vancouver all the way down the Pacific coast now, of North America. Now, that is a story. How much uh, fun was that? You said you were on a, on a broke budget. I think uh, I can probably relate. So I went nomadic when I was 18, and basically I lived out of a backpack and, hear me out, a pillowcase filled with clothes. So if you take the pillow out of a pillowcase and you fill it with clothes and you hold it on yourself, they let you on it with a plane because I think <laughs> that maybe you want to sit on it or you want to lean on it. That's a and that move. That wow. pillow had more clothes in it than my backpack could fit. And that's the way I sneaked around having to pay for a check-in fee. And then, yeah, we, we rented a 35-year-old Chevy truck that used to be an airport shuttle. Was it... 25 person truck, like the oldest thing I ever had, like a V8, uh, gas mileage horrendous and could barely reach 60 miles per hour. And if you did, you would have to put in ear protection. And we called her Emma, Emma the fat one. And we, we <laughs> rode her from all the way from Vancouver down to LA on the, on the 101, which was probably one of the most gorgeous rides I've ever done in my life. So how the heck did you go from riding Emma the fat one down the Pacific coast highway to 
starting and to also congrats on mainnet launch. That's in, that's incredible. We'll get we'll get into that shortly. But how the heck did you go from riding Emma the Fat One down the Pacific Coast to founding a blockchain company five years later? Yeah. So actually, I started with blockchain even before Emma. I used to be a professional Counter-Strike player in Germany. I was the youngest player of the German Championship season 2016 or 2015, actually, more accurately. Counter-Strike now is one of the biggest shooters in the entire you know, world. Back then, it was the biggest one in Europe, at least. But I got a hand injury. So I had to drop off. Uh, I couldn't, you know, renew my professional contract. And so, um, as fate will have it, just two weeks after that, I got exposed to, to Bitcoin for the first time, which was, you know, before the 2017 run. And, you know, as most people, you look into this in the beginning and you're like, Oh, you know, uh, money, right. But then you look into it even more and you realize, huh? You know, you, you understand a lot about the, the background. You know, my, my parents are both from Eastern Europe, ex communist and socialist countries. So I grew up understanding the pain of people having to adopt to other systems and very much understanding the pain of capitalistic systems. Um, I am a true capitalist. I will state this here. Uh, this is a very out there statement, but I, I am standing by it. But I think people that live outside of that system are exposed to a different kind of relationship to that, trying to understand and learn it. So I learned the pain points very early and realized with Bitcoin that that is something that the world needs and this, our system needs. And so when I was uh, driving Emma down the coast, uh, I was already in, Bitcoin, in crypto at that point. And we actually did some breaks on the road for me to write some articles back then, which barely anyone read and no one really cared about. But I got lucky and was able to write for one of the kind of better research companies in Germany, which was actually acquired in a leveraged bio by BlackRock, which again really says something. Um, but yeah, I got, I got into crypto early, early. I never had a plan B. It's crazy how the world works sometimes. Like you, you know, you have, and my apologies, sorry for the shitty sports injury. I feel like that's happened to a lot of us. And then it yep. just, just falls on your lap. Like it's crazy how, if, and I'm sure you yeah. were down, you know, you were down on your luck. You were probably feeling a little shitty and out of nowhere, this thing. <laughs> that is an understatement. Burns that is an around, understatement. You know? And yeah, my, my dad, uh, you know, he says like, let time be time, right? And um, the butterfly effect is really strong, at least I feel like in my life, when I look at situations where the most devastating blows were the biggest grails of happiness I could have gotten later down the road. And the biggest mistakes I made were the biggest save, saviors of my path. And I think life has a very poetic way in uh, twisting it around and what you expect it to become. I love that. Let's, let's jump into the bread and butter here. Now, before we get into mainnet, let's have you give our listeners a quick rundown of Quasar, 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 Quasar Finance. You guys just launched the mainnet, but before we get into mainnet, give a little overview about what you and the team are building and working on, and then talk about how crazy it was launching the mainnet and the multitude of shit shows that go on behind the scenes that people like me will never ever get to see. Yeah. Depending on who I'm pitching this to, right? The pitch evolves, but the, I guess the quickest, most condensed way to talk about what we do is we believe that DeFi, in order to become something that helps most people, needs to become something that transcends the little mud fights we have in crypto right now about stuff like which ecosystem is the best or which platform is the best or which app is the best. It feels like system reliability engineers beefing about whether they should host their website on Azure Cloud or Google Cloud or AWS. Whereas at the end of the day, the only thing you care about is does it load fast? Is my data safe? And do I get what I need out of it? And we take this concept 
And we built the first and only way to manage DeFi assets of any sort through IBC. IBC, Interblockchain Communication, is a fancy term for essentially the only way to trustlessly bridge assets between chains. Um, you can imagine that any chain is like a continent that was never exposed to another continent, has its own language, and IBC is them agreeing on a common language for communication. That's Great pretty much analogy. all it is. Great analogy. Thanks. I have a couple more of those. Um, but yeah, for, for now, that, that should do. And so with this common language, you suddenly transcend the borders even beyond what, I guess, nature intended, right? You, you transcend the state machines that blockchains are. And what that allows us to do is that we can really democratize access to DeFi for people. Instead of having different protocols fight for who gets the most TVL or trying to you know, get someone else's user base, all we do is build railroads and pipelines for people to manage assets on those protocols in whichever they seem fit. It is not my choice and it's not my team's decision to decide where you want to put your money. Our job is to allow you to do so. Something we forget in the West very quickly is access to capital and access. Well, access to capital is a, is a common problem, but access to financial products, right? We think we live in a free society of free markets, but have you ever tried investing in the Citadel Securities, the company that manages 50% of all stock trading in the US? You can't because they're private. There's three people that make money on your trading stocks. Uh, have you ever tried to invest into a hedge fund with $50? You can't. You need half a million to do it. And so everywhere we have these roadblocks for common and, you know, for, for average people to invest into what they believe in is right. We don't feel it that much because we can still buy Apple stock, but try doing that as a uh, person from Kazakhstan, right? It's not that easy. And with that philosophy, we're breaking down barriers. We're making DeFi easier. We're building roads to DeFi protocols. We're guiding liquidity to those and we're allowing people to invest into what they believe in. Well said. Before we get into more stuff, give me some more analogies. I'm a big analogy fan on this pod here. Because a lot of this stuff, especially when we're getting into the cross-bridge, mm -hmm. cross-chain protocols, anything communication-related. Yeah. Then you know, you get into ZK rollups, ZK snarks, whatever you want to call it. These, yeah. these the terminology and the jargon just becomes it's so freaking wasted. It's, it's just so acronyms after that, acronyms. And it's so tough because yeah. it, it's one of the biggest catalysts for not allowing average Joes and Josephines to get into the space. We are a technocracy, whether we like it or not. We it's are true. massively technocratic so we need, right we now. we need more analogies. Like, so All right. if, if you don't mind, buzz a couple I'll give you more. Me. I'll give you more. Let's actually take the bridge example because that's the one I'm the most passionate about. Most people that listen in have probably used the bridge at some point. Bridges are great in one thing, and that's about the only nice thing I can say about them. And what is great about them is that it allows you to hop between chains, right? You can take your assets to another chain. Here's the issue. You can't take your assets to another chain because blockchains are, as I said, continents that don't know about the existence of other continents. Ethereum chain does not understand the concept of country lines in the globe, neither the concept of Binance Smart Chain. It doesn't exist for Ethereum. And so how the assets are bridged is basically you take a centralized entity, like a, let, let's imagine a post office or a bank, and you bring the bank in, you're now in the United States, Right, let's say that's Ethereum, and you have a piece of gold, let's say that's whatever token you believe in. You go to the bank, which is a centralized entity, which has only legal obligations to you on a minimum extent, and the rest is trust-based, right? And you give them the piece of gold and you say, I would like to bring this piece of gold to Germany. And they're going to tell you, well, you can't fly with that piece of gold, it's too big, we're not going to let you. But here's what we can do. We'll take a piece of gold and we'll give you a piece of paper that can prove to Germany that you own that piece of gold. 
and we promise you that that piece of paper is worth it. It's legit. Like, all right. So you give them a piece of gold, you take the piece of paper, you fly with the piece of paper, you bring it to Germany. You show the piece of paper and they see, oh, you know, it's from JP Morgan, that bank still exists, seems legit. All right, we believe you. So what do you want to purchase, right? And you can sell your gold with a piece of paper. Now, what happens if JP Morgan dies? You kind of have a worthless piece of paper. Now, JP Morgan dying does not seem that realistic because it's an institution that's existed for 20 years and the US government will bail it out. But the central parties that in this analogy are represented by JP Morgan are a bunch of people, five to seven, that thought it was a cool idea and kind of just built that. I, I don't know if I just dropped out, but let me just rephrase in case I dropped out. So what JP Morgan is represented by in this analogy, which is hard to believe that they're ever going to fail because they're an old institution and the US government to bail them out, is in crypto, five to seven people <laughs> that thought it was a cool idea to build that, barely have a legal structure, but they're promising you that they're not going to abuse your funds. Because the only way you can move assets through a bridge in, in crypto is by putting them in one address controlled by uh, by these people, then then they print an asset representation on the other chain. But bridge hacks have been the biggest attack vector for all of crypto, period. As much money has been lost in bridge hacks, maybe even more than in FTX or Mount Gox. Every month there's a new one. Like every, every couple of weeks. It's crazy. And what, what people don't realize is they think... Oh, what are the odds of me getting, you know, hit in a bridge attack? I just barely use it for half an hour. No, 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 no. Every second you hold the asset on the non-native chain, you are exposed to that bridge being hacked entirely. So bridges are horrendous because you trade everything you care about in crypto for a bit of convenience. But you also don't really have a choice, right? Because the other route is going through a centralized exchange, same shit, swap the tokens, even more work, and send them back, right? Now... In comes IBC. And you can think of IBC like the global standard of passports. Every country has its own passport. They're all a bit different, but they have the same form factor. There's like four countries, they, uh, colors they can choose from, right? And they all share a system which allows them to scan your passport to check if it's a real passport, right? So they have a proving mechanism in their own continents to yeah. check if that's a real passport. So what, what happens with IBC is your bar of gold is now a passport. You take it to fly. It's your approval to leave the country, right? So the country scans and says, yep, that is a real passport. That is a real token. We're sending you off to your destination chain. You fly in, you arrive in destination chain. They see it. And let's say you're, again, a US passport holder. Germany looks at your passport, sees, ah, yes, that is a US passport, scans it, approves it as a real US passport, and gives you a stamp. And that stamp is the number in which Germany registered you by being in the country as a U.S. passport holder. You still have U.S. passport number, but now Germany has a number assigned to you and can verify who you are with their internal system. That is IBC. So tokens can move because there is a standardization between the chains to accept a certain type of token, and it can only move if the chains can prove to each other by sharing information that it has left this chain and wants to arrive in that chain. And that is the only way to bridge assets without more security assumptions beyond the security of the actual chains that are in the system, right? The passport controls are only as secure as the passport controls of the countries, right. but at least they're not dependent on some random-ass five-person team that promises you they're not going to abuse their power. And that's what we build on. So that's the IBC analogy I'd like to use. Very well said. Quick question on IBC. Why? I mean, you just sold it 
very well, but why isn't IBC bigger if if it's as yes. prominent and powerful so, and, and useful yeah, as you absolutely say? Right. So IBC is actually really underrated in the crypto space because it's already facilita- facilitating billions of dollars of volume. In fact, there's actually a case study now which has been like not leaked but publicized. There's two Japanese banks that use IBC, a fork of IBC, for them to send each other the Japanese yen, wow. like they're starting to use it because IBC is, the, the reason it's not widely adopted is because while this vision sounds great, imagine how the passport rollout looked like before countries had the infrastructure, right? Before you have a piece of paper and suddenly you're saying, okay, you need the scanners, they're standardized. Oh, the supplier doesn't deliver to your country. Damn. Okay. So we need to create a supply line. Suddenly, oh, Everybody wants a scanner, but well, there's only 10 people that build it. So, you know, and suddenly like scaling and growth issues are always the name of the game. And the reason IBC is not bigger is because right now it has been optimized for the Cosmos SDK chains, which you can almost look at like the European Union, where every country is totally their own country, but they all agree to certain sets of rules. So the Schengen area was faster to adopt, you know, a common standard for travel. But now you're asking me, why is it not adopted yet in China? Well, because it's a massive work to do. And it's not necessarily as plug and play as someone joining Schengen because all these different chains want to keep their sovereignty. So adopting IBC does not mean they can just, you know, use Cosmos SDK and build on top of that because they already exist, right? China's not going to join Schengen. So now we have to create a translation layer for the standard, um, which is what teams are building on. And it's expanding beyond Cosmos. You know, teams are building and bringing it to Polkadot, to Near, to Ethereum, yeah. to Rollups. Like that is happening. You know, that that's what's currently being built on in the background. And it's one of those moments where no one knows about this and suddenly everyone uses it and accepts it as a standard. That's how it's going to look like. It's crazy the growth of Cosmos and Adam over the last, I'd say, year, more specifically six I months. I need to stop you because Adam is a massive misconception in Cosmos. And I have a pet peeve with this, a really big one. I'll give you another analogy. Hit me. Uh, when people buy Ethereum, they buy it because it's a commodity that powers any and all activity on all of Ethereum, including rollups. Because at the end of the day, you have to post transactions that are yeah. paid in gas fees of Ethereum. Atom is a marketing play on the name Cosmos. Atom is one chain in Cosmos. And people buy it because they think it's a commodity of Cosmos, but it's not. Every single Cosmos chain pays their gas fees in their own token. Mm. Atom is one of 50 chains. And the entire market cap of Atom, for lack of a better term, is people being confused. Including me when I got into Cosmos. In, in, including me, who yeah. should know this. <laughs> and I, I, man, I don't blame you at all wow. because there are still people in Cosmos that don't realize that. And look, I'm the last one to make any assumptions about the economic value of Atom. You know, with replicated security, not not to hop fifty topics, but with different updates coming to Atom, there is more value in Atom uh, being added. But it is not the backbone of Cosmos the same way that Ethereum is to ETH, and that's a massive misconception that actually a lot of people in Cosmos, including us, are fighting because it means. That that people don't people don't understand that they're not exposed to our protocols with Atom. Super interesting. So if if I wanted to have some exposure to the whole Cosmos yep. ecosystem, there is no good way of doing that, which is actually a fantastic leading up to our flagship vault coming up. <laughs> but it almost sounds so good to be true, but that's actually a good follow up because we faced that issue in the team because most of us bought Atom and then realized it's not the commodity, including myself. I made that mistake one and a half years ago. So what we then figured out was like, okay, but like there needs to be a way for us to invest in IBC, right? Because IBC doesn't have a token. That's kind of what it makes a genius too. It doesn't have a token. So 
how do you invest into IBC? Well, I guess the next best thing you can do is invest into protocols that use IBC. And then you realize that there is 50. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, no, I'm not about to hold 50 tokens and manage them. So actually, one of the first products we're going to launch with after this airs is the first and only Cosmos ETF that is going to be a proper ETF like the financial players in the top can use an ETF. Let me ask you, when you buy the S&P 500, is there any way for you to redeem it from the underlying shares? Don't think so. Should there be? I mean, of course. Because <laughs> there is for the hedge funds and the banks. They can redeem the underlying assets of ETFs. Yet again, another stage where we think we have a free financial system and if you look under the hood, it's not really free. Yeah, you can't. Power. So interesting. what we need to do is we need to democratize access to those financial tools. And that's what we're doing. The Cosmos ETF we're going to launch with, you can redeem it for all underlying tokens. So you basically buy one token, which is ETF, and you can redeem it and you get the entire list of underlyings based on weighting. With that one token as well in our vaults, because we use IBC, if you stake it, we can stake all the underlying for you in the background on the native chains. Wow. And you hold the staked assets, so you get the staking rewards accumulated. And we're currently working on that. You can vote on governance of every single underlying with the proportional amount of your underlying holdings. No one else has this. There's not one Cosmos ETF It does ETF not exist right anywhere in Cosmos, period. Not even crypto. How, though? Like it, That seems like such a no-brainer, you know? Because it's fucking hard. Right. Of course. <laughs> it's so insane. If you knew the code insanity that's going on in Quasar, you would understand. We are like, imagine this, we, we built, I told you the passport analogy, and now imagine that on you, you want to build an economy on passports. Yeah, it's, that's, a, that's, a, that's like multiple dozens of hundreds of notches above my pay grade. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and that's kind of what, what we did with IBC, right? So, like, it sounds like a no brainer because, like, you know, from a non technical side, it is a no brainer, but on a tech side, uh, you know, the shit show. Uh, my devs, you know, they, <laughs> they have their opinions about me pushing these things, but I think they need to happen. And, you know, the, the team is actually so hyped with how we advance IBC because, you know, IBC should not just be a passport control. It should be an economy built. It's basically globalizing the world through standardized security checkpoints and movement of goods. And if you don't have ports, and if you don't have standard papers, and if you don't have scanning devices, then that's what you're dealing with. And that's what we're dealing with. Bananas. Valentin, you're on fire here, but we got to take a quick shout out. We got to give a big, big shout out to our sponsor of the show, Prime XBT. Longtime friend of the show at CryptoNews.com. We absolutely love their platform and their team. Great people who have developed an incredible robust trading system for both beginners and professional traders. It doesn't matter if you're a rookie or a vet, you can easily design and customize your layouts and widgets to best fit your trading style. They're also running an exclusive promotion for listeners of the Crypto News podcast. Use the promo code CryptoNews50, that is CryptoNews50, all in word to receive 50% of your first deposit credited to your trading account that can be used as additional collateral to open positions. Again, the promo code is CryptoNews50 to receive 50% of your deposit credited to your trading account. And now back to the show with the analogy king himself. Let's talk about mainnet launch. Yes. So shit show. How much um, goes on how much goes on behind the scenes that 
the consumer side of things does not see. Almost everything. All we see is the tech stack go up. We see the landing pages go up. We see all the front end stuff. We see the countdown on social media platforms. And that's it. What actually goes so, on? Give the I folks a little sneak peek. I'll, I'll gladly spill the beans. Um, I, I, I can't speak for other projects, but in our particular case, we had a lot of unique issues to fight with. So first of all, let's change the password analogy for packages. And let's imagine that you, you, know, you, you build a system for packages this size. So like all the scanners at this size, right? And then like weighting them goes up to 10 kilos or you know, 20 pounds, right? Now imagine that we came along and we want to please send packages this size and they weigh a ton. So what, we, what happened is we've tested everything rigorously and then once we deployed, all infrastructure broke. Which, not to raise red flags, infrastructure breaking does not mean people lose their funds. It means that they're not being sent. You know, it's not package burned. It's more like package not delivered. Nonetheless, the package not delivered is not what you want <laughs> if your entire protocol is built on package delivery services, right? So we've had, essentially, the entire team is Dubai, right? So I'm painting a scene. And I, I know the negative stigma about Dubai. We were only there because we are an international team and visas were very easy for everybody to acquire. So the entire team is Dubai all together in one room, 14 people, grinding it out. And the first thing that happened was we realized a dependency that we were counting on was not properly implemented. So the first exchange that we build on is called Osmosis, which is the biggest uh, DEX in, in, in Cosmos. And they upgraded to V15, and it included a thing called Async ICQ, which is something we co-developed with two other companies in, in Cosmos. It was actually a grant by the Interchain Foundation. Async ICQ, again, fancy words, but super simply just means that you can request data through IVC gotcha. instead of having to use an Oracle. Gotcha. So that, that's all it is. You're just requesting of data, which we need because we need to know how a position's doing, what are prices, what are pools, right? So we need to request data between, between chains. But in order for you to basically call the hotline, Right, the async ICQ hotline and ask a question to the other authority, you need to have a phone number, a parameter, and that parameter was forgotten. So they implemented it, but there was no number to call. So we couldn't use it. And we realized that four days before our launch date. And passing a governance change proposal to change that takes uh, seven days in osmosis, I think, six, seven, eight, which we didn't have. So we were basically accepting that we're going to fail mainnet launch just by the timeline of a governance proposal until we realized that there's this thing called expedited vote, which has never been tried, never been used, and never even, like, not, not even attempted. Because what you need to do to pass an expedited governance proposal on Osmosis is to get two-thirds of all staked Osmo to vote yes on your proposal in less than 24 hours. To give you a feeling, a normal proposal... What was the dollar amount to that that you needed? $150 million. <laughs> need to vote yes in 24 hours. And to give you a feeling, the most obvious and biggest updates that Osmosis ever had had a turnaround of 40 to 50% because the normal quorum is only 20%. And that 50% does not need to be a yes. It needs to be a yes majority of who votes. And it's enough if more than 20% vote. How, how the hell so, do you pull this off? We went into the most insane war room mode ever. Basically, I think we have the most comprehensive contact list of validators in Cosmos. I mean, 
it's a joke, but I almost feel like I have their addresses where they live. We don't, but like we have the most comprehensive <laughs> list of all validators in Cosmos. And we basically, we were running a, a call center figuratively. I mean, anyone that has an Osmo was pinged by us, probably. And so we passed the first attempt at a governance proposal expedited. We passed it. We also got the highest turnaround ever of any governance proposal in Cosmos, which was 77.5% of all staked assets voted yes on us, which translates to the highest single number of voter turnaround, which is 22,000 people voted yes on our proposal in a single day. So that's an insane thing that happened to put us back on track. Well, it put yeah. us a day behind, but... Hold up, we gotta, I have a couple of questions on this if you don't mind me interjecting sure. and jumping in here. No, totally. What, what, what was the workflow or protocol yeah. in order to get this done? Like, did you guys fire up a CRM to just like attack? First step was I was crying on the ground. That was step one. <laughs> step two was our PM just landed from Germany, comes through the door, sees me on the ground losing my shit, uh, asks me what's going on, I tell him what's happening. And the first thing he says is, do we have a spreadsheet? And then everything snowballed from there. So we had him basically scraping any data points he could have. We had three people on the team that are connected in Cosmos that told me any connection they have and sent me the telegram names with who they belong to. We then created a spreadsheet with all validators and cross-checked with on-chain changes if they voted or not. And if they didn't vote, we had a time frame where we would re-ping them. And then we would ping them on any channel we could find, whether on the website or by connections through connections, including I talked to the Osmosis co-founders, some of the Cosmos Hub, other influencers that started creating a marketing campaign online that was, you know, steamrolled into all of Cosmos knowing about Prop 466 and essentially just kept bothering the living shit out of anyone that has Osmo for a whole day. Oh, also a ton of Red Bull. Of course. And maybe yeah. some other stuff too. But it was, it was just, <laughs> uh, it was, <laughs> let's get real. It was, it, it was sales one on one. It was, it was end of quarter crunch time. You guys, yep. it was do or, do or die. You had to. Yeah. Yeah. I love there that. Was, there, there was no, once, once he came in and said that we have a spreadsheet, there was no question of will we do it? There's a question of like, how when? hard are we going to hit it? Yeah, yeah. I love that. Okay. Sorry to so interrupt there. We do that, right? We're a day behind, but it's okay. And so what happens at that point is, and that's the unique thing, right? Where it can't speak for the teams is the amount of outside dependencies we had was ridiculous because the very nature, right? Like if, if you have your own country, if you have your own continent and like Ethereum is your chain, then your dependencies are incredibly minimal. Because everything, everyone speaks a language, everyone knows the streets, everyone knows each other, easy peasy. But if you are basically the first passport check was like was just created, and then you come along and say, "How about it? we built everything on this?" Then the electric, the, the metal scanners in the terminals break. The weighting of the packages breaks. The X-ray machine breaks. The passports break. Like the first plane just landed, and we bought it, and we we created a jumbo jet out of wood. I mean, it, it was truly complete mayhem. So, you know, we had basically on call with multiple teams in a lot of infrastructure sites from RPC nodes to relayers, which are basically the way that packages are being sent between chains to the IBC team in our Slack channel to basically Osmosis designating a guy to help us any time of the day. So essentially it was a, a game of can we make this all not be broken for an hour so we can launch? 
And the, another insanity is that for a chain to be launched, you know, you, you create something called a genesis transaction, which is basically the state at which the chain starts, which is where validators accept that is now right the chain. So you start producing blocks after that. But that means you need to coordinate validators. So they all need to be up at a certain time. And then if one of them is missing and you need to run up to them and then you can't start. So you delay. And then another guy's time zone is starting to go into 3 a.m. for him. And the amount of stakeholder management, outside dependency management. And then on top of that, code doesn't do what you think the second you think it does it, right? So then on top of that, we have basically two of our team members, the vault boys, we call them, being awake for 45 out of 47 hours. I am not making this up. They were living they were living zombies by the end of it. I mean, true soldiers. I mean, I'm talking military <laughs> boot camp. Yeah. Um, basically, you know, ironing out the last kind of problems because most of the things just you can't test. Because how are you going to test if a jet flies before you try to take off, right? I mean, you can simulate what you want, but at the end of the day, you don't know if there's going to be a tornado on the way or not. 100%. So it's... Like honestly, I cannot ask, I cannot be more honest about this. The most stress I think most of us ever experienced, and the biggest thing we've ever done. What? And and my apologies because I'm sure this is something that doesn't want to be thought about. But what takeaways or lessons? What are the biggest ones? Maybe let's just first of all, always plan more time. You think you plan enough time? Plan more time. Secondly, you know, plan more time. Uh, thirdly, I would say. It was almost necessary for us to just so blindly go into expanding IBC because I think if we were to understand the state of which IBC was before the launch, it may not have worked, right? It, it was one of those situations where it's like, uh, no one told us it's impossible, so we just did it. <laughs> right. So I think that, you know, another thing I would maybe say is like, don't trust, trust as little outside dependencies as you humanly can. There were a couple situations where if we had more time, we could have done more things in-house, which timeline-wise is horrendous, business decision-wise is bad, competitor landscape-wise it's bad. It's, it's not a great decision, but it is a fantastic decision when it comes to having a good launch. The more you can do internally, because the more you have to wait on someone answering your Slack message that's in a different time zone, right? The, the, the more stress everyone experiences because we had multiple moments where the entire team was looking at a freaking laptop and looking at the bottom left corner of Slack and waiting for sub to, for it to say, this person's typing, right? And you just don't want that in your launch because yeah. it, it makes you feel very vulnerable to like, you know, the world. Very, very well said. Very well said. Valentin, this has been a, uh, this has been an absolute treat here. The Quasar and Cosmos and IBC aside, what else gets you going right now? You know, this episode will air mid-April kind of thing. What else gets you going in crypto and finance? Mid-going, my birthday gets me going. Uh, 14th of April. <laughs> Love that. Um, Happy early birthday. <laughs> thank you. Um, you mean outside of crypto or like... Outside anything. Of, oh, What's, anything. What, what, gets what are you passionate going? about right now? You you messing around with AI? <sighs> no, hell no. I am a very strong believer in single-focus things. I am yep. a very primal male brain human. And I cannot do more than one thing. Good. So I'm not looking into AI. I mean, sure, I have, you know, ChatGPT open and, you know, get, I, I give myself my daily scare of how far the technology is advancing. But beyond that, I'm yeah. not really, you know, dabbling in AI. Any any areas of crypto that excite you a lot besides what you and the team are directly dabbling into? Sure. Besides IBC, I would say it gets tricky immediately. I think IBC is really like the, the non plus ultra for me. But I guess besides IBC, um, the the ETH developments are exciting me a lot. I think that Ethereum, look, 
China's massive issues, right? Centralization happening with the, you know, with the with the exchanges pulling up and now with the US scrutiny against staking services. Yeah. But even looking beyond that, ETH is a modern world wonder. It is a unbelievable feat of human engineering and and, and coordination globally and a, and a vast community. And on top of that, the ETH asset is such a clear-cut commodity that Ethereum just really excites me. I think that interoperability, again, it is obviously, but that's what excites me the most because once we get to a point where we get beyond the mud fights of which ecosystem is the best, we can start to finally pitch the value adds that people can get from crypto instead of, no, this token is better than that one. I'm excited for new frontiers to be reached in governance, you know, more and more, I guess, direct governance. So right now, a lot of governance decisions, a lot of chains are basically, the governance says what a multi-sig, right, which is basically imagine a vault, like a physical vault, not our vaults with like four keys, what they should do with the money. But at the end of the day, they can just, you know, use the keys to steal the money. I'm very excited for direct democracy, where basically the vault will mathematically, automatically do what the chain decides. I'm very excited for that because it takes, you know, the more human error we take out, the better for everyone in this space. Otherwise, you know, travel gets me going again. Winter is usually hard for me. I'm a, I'm a, yeah. I'm a Southern person. Um, so, you know, flying to New York, seeing the world again, Austin. What's, what's your favorite, what's your favorite city in the world? Oof, my guy. Tough that question. Hard of a deci- that hard of a question this late. <sighs> Can I go by continent? No, nah, too easy. Damn it. All right. Barcelona. Barca. Yeah, but not in summer. Way too full. But Barcelona. Too packed in summer? My God. Yeah. It's And look, I know the irony of me as a tourist saying it's too full in summer. I understand. But nonetheless, it is so ridiculously full in summer. I mean, it's completely bonkers. I, my favorite time in Barca was uh, autumn and spring. Right. When it's already warm, but just not that many tourists yet. Of course. What about most overrated city you've been to? LA. Yeah. LA is very overrated. I would say Paris. I, I was, I had a love hate with Paris. Yeah. Was, right. Weird, but I know? think you, you, something is overrated if people only say they love it, but it's actually love hate. I feel like that's overrated. Like, is, is, yeah. a, is an abusive relationship where you live for the 20% a good true. relationship or you know overrated that that would be a love hate relationship yeah, exactly <laughs> you love them, but you want to rip their head off as well exactly um, so we we got to do the hot take factory um give me a couple valentine hot takes it doesn't have to be crypto related anything health wealth happiness you want to get spicy politics you name it but all right i, know you I think i think the world's going to go slowly back into traditional gender roles once the current experiment is going to start failing more and more this is not an argument against equality. I want to be very, very honest on that. Very, very straight. It's not an argument against equality, but I think that um, the current model of everyone should work as much as they can and hustle yeah. culture and hashtag side hustle and hashtag, I mean, people are not happy, right? Uh, very like, true. It sounds primal, but we should get kids and we should be able to live with kids and not have to, you know, twist every dollar we have. I hope the world finds its way back to that. I think another hot take is that the East will not win against the West. A lot of things point to that, but I think that the, there is a, there is a sentence I love, which Churchill said about the U.S., which is you can you can be guaranteed that the U.S. will do uh, the right thing after they tried every other possibility. Mm. It's a pretty funny statement, but I I I do believe we're gonna pull through. I did not lose hope on the West at all. Another hot take. I don't know. I, those are two. I I think I already got some really hot takes. Those are those are two spicy ones, which I love. Yeah, um, I mean the the first one 
it is controversial and, and you and I are in the same yacht most definitely, but it's just tough with the current agenda that, you know, very like I am incredibly grateful to have lived in a, in a society that has, uh, you know, free, free speech and free opinion. And I want to be very straight as well. I, it's not, I don't want to be the person that people listen to about this and I don't want to decide for others. Right. Like the only thing that I really care about is having society where people can live the way they want. Right. So this is not an argument about, Oh no, this is a society that wasn't, doesn't work right now. Let's change it. This is an argument that I think by natural evolution, we're going to start moving back towards that way. That is a theory. And these are strictly your thoughts, you know? It's, yeah, not putting them belong, on anyone else. Exactly. These belong to you, you should, and no if, one else. If something else makes you happy, then I'm happy you're happy. Very libertarian on that side. I love that. What a treat. This was This was a lot of fun, man. This was, uh, we got to do this. And how, how long are you and the team in um, Malaga for? Uh, currently, it's uh, three of my team and I, and we're leaving in, well, I'm leaving in two weeks. Two of them actually live here, which is, you know, the, the odds of that happening are pretty funny. But yeah, two of them live, live here. And then uh, the other buddy is flying, uh, I think, end of May, end of April. Amazing. What a treat. Valentin, thank you so much for coming on. This was a crazy episode. I have a lot to learn. And you taught me something that was so front of mind this whole time. And I honestly own apology to a couple of people because, uh, you know, I have told them that Adam is a, is directly correlated to the Cosmos ecosystem and you learn something I mean, every day. It kind of is because people make that mistake, right? Which is the irony no, but of it. That's, but that, that's on, like, I got to do my freaking homework, you know? Thank you for telling me that. I appreciate it. I appreciate you for standing above that and trying to fix it. Thank you. Thank you. Before you go, you've got to let our listeners know where they can find you and Quasar on socials online as well as IBC, all three of you. You're, you're not big on Twitter though, right? Uh, I am relatively. I mean, I mean, look, what is big, right? I have a, I have 1.5K followers, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a personality uh, in a sense. Well, I'm, I'm on, my way, on my way there. So yeah, my Twitter is Valeo777. And then the, the company Twitter is QuasarFi, which by the way, the website is also Quasar.Fi. And on top right, you're going to find all our social links. Don't trust random people sending you links. The website has the actual right links. And you can find our Discord there. You can find our Twitter there. We have our own blog on the website. Um, we are about to link some media content, but you can find us on Coindesk. You can find us on Cointelegraph. I have an opinion piece on NASDAQ. Uh, so if you if you Google Quasar Finance, you're going to find a lot of content about us, whether it's video or, or text. Love it. Thank you so much, man. Truly a treat. Can't wait to have you on for round two. And I will be in Europe towards the end of our middle end of summer. I'm going to hit you up. Uh, if you're going to be in Germany, I might have to come see you. Sick. Sounds good, man. Thank you so much. Folks, what an episode with Valentin Pletnev, CEO and co-founder of Quasar Finance. Dropping knowledge bombs left, right and center. Taught me something crazy today the king of analogies and some spicy takes too. We absolutely love to see it. Folks, do go check out all of his endeavors. I will include everything in the notes as always. To the listeners, love you guys. To the team, thank you so much for everything. You just asked my amazing sound editor. Appreciate you as always. Back to the listeners, love you guys. Keep on growing those bags. Keep on staying healthy, wealthy, and happy. Bye for now and we'll talk soon.